Good morning. Um, welcome this morning. This morning I want to share with you some thoughts on, um, on a wonderful story that's written throughout all the four Gospels. And for it to have been written throughout all the four Gospels, it must have been quite significant, I imagine, in the heart of God for us to actually hear that and for us to, have, to, for us to read that this, uh, this day or, or in, in the Word. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Our wonderful Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have to come and worship the King of Kings. Thank you for every single believer that has come to know you, Jesus. Thank you for every single person in this place. And we thank you, Lord God, for all the wonderful gifts and talents that you give us and the ways that you allow us to serve you and to worship you. You have brought us not out of darkness to remain in darkness, but you brought us out of darkness to walk in light. And we thank you for this. Uh, you have called us not to be the same, but to be different. But this time to be different because of you and to become like you. And we thank you for this. And we pray, Lord God, as we hear your word this morning, that you may speak into our lives. Prepare every heart that is here and speak into our lives, Lord, that we are uh, ready to receive what you have to say. Because you know our hearts. You know where we're at at the moment. You know what we need. And I believe, Lord God, you want to speak to us. So, Father, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. The Gospel of Luke in 19. Um, and for those who, who'd like to be ready for other things as we move, you may also want to open up to Psalm 118 or, and Zechariah 9. Psalm 118, Zechariah 9. But the main passage this morning is going to be from Luke, from Luke chapter 19. And as I said before, it's actually a passage that is written in all four Gospels. And that's quite intriguing because not everything happens like that in the Bible. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, sometimes there's one Gospel that emphasizes one story or might talk only one Gospel or only mention one story. And that's okay because there's four writers talking about different events of Jesus and they all, they all link up together very, very well. But there are some stories that they all choose to write about and this is one of them. So for me, I think to myself, Lord, what do you want to show us in this story? What is it about this story that's remarkable that all four Gospel writers would then take the time by God God's Spirit to write this in the Word. It's a fascinating story. And what I'm fascinated about is what am I going, what, who are we going to learn from in this story? Which character in this story are we going to learn from the most? And I, I imagine this morning every, everyone in this room may learn from a different character, a different thing. Are we going to learn from Jesus himself this morning? We might. You may learn something about Jesus from this story. Are you going to learn something about the crowds in this story? Because there's crowds, there's a number of people in this story doing an incredible thing. Maybe you this morning will learn something from the crowds. Are you going to learn from the donkey this morning? You might. I did when I read this story. I learned something about the, the donkey in this story. A remarkable story that talks about a donkey. And now you're going to learn perhaps about the Pharisees this morning. Maybe you're going to take something this morning that you're going to learn from the actual Pharisees themselves and what they did. All these people are in this story. What's going on for them? What's happening? Why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this at this stage of the life of Jesus as we get closer and closer to reading about and understanding his crucifixion? In Luke chapter 19, verse 28, the Bible says this, when he, had, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. 
And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're loosing it, thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who sent their way were sent their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of, the, of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt and they, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then... As he now was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now listen to what Jesus says, verse 40. But he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should keep silence the stones would immediately cry out. Wow. You're probably starting to understand what I mean when I say to you, who are you going to learn from this morning? Who are you going to learn from this morning? This passage is rich. It's full of so many great examples of what it means to break through all the facade of Christianity, of all the exteriors of Christianity, right to the very core of what God is calling us to do, and that is to be in complete, um, complete devotion and genuine worship of the one who made us. All the facade, all the external things that people call Christianity, yeah, you can have those things and sometimes we can pretty them up a little bit and we can make them look really nice. But at the end of the day, when you break through all this exterior of Christianity, what God is really calling for is for people who will completely be devoted to Him and who will genuinely worship Him. That's why He came. If you wanted to keep religion... And if he wanted to keep things to be religious, he wouldn't have had to come. They were doing fine. They were being religious. They were doing religious things. They were going to church when they needed to go to church. They were going to synagogues when they needed to go to synagogue. They were doing the religious things. But Jesus saw this and it broke his heart. And he thought to himself, what's going on here? And he wanted to break through this religiousness. And he wanted to somehow bring them back to relationship with him because he knew, well, firstly, that was his heart's desire, but he knew that's what they most needed. And you know what's funny? What's incredible about the Christian faith is that God doesn't necessarily... Uh, we, we find it very hard in ourselves to seek after God. So what he does is this. He comes looking for us. Like a lost sheep. He comes looking for us. Tapping us on the heart. Where are you? Where have you been? What are you doing? Why are you doing this for? I know you know nobody knows, but I know. And he comes tapping on the door of our hearts. He's saying, you know what? Isn't it enough? Aren't you over it yet? Well, this facade, this exterior, this kind of um, mask, what, are, you, are you sick of it yet? And he comes knocking on the door of our hearts and says, you know, come, come with me, because I have something far greater than what you have ever imagined. And so what I want for you is to break through all this and come into complete and utter devotion to me and genuine worship. That is what it means to be Christian. So listen. 
Let's go back at verse 28. Look at what it says. The Bible says, And as he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Going up to Jerusalem. Now, to any, any other day, that might have been sort of pretty, pretty standard thing. But to Jesus, he knew the time had come. He knew that. Within about a week or so, he was going to be hanging on a cross. And so after everything had been said and done, he knew the time had come. So he got himself ready to go to Jerusalem. Because at Jerusalem, he was going to be um, betrayed, he was going to be captured, and eventually he was going to be crucified. And you can imagine a sense of nervousness about him, a sense of nervousness that this is the time has actually come, that I need to do this. And he did this because he knew the Father had asked him to do this because the world needed the Savior. The world needed a Savior. They needed someone who would come and save them. And so Jesus was God's chosen one. This wasn't a small thing. Let's go up to Jerusalem like they're going for a drive or a holiday or a trip. You know? They're going to his death. He was going to eventually go on the cross. And he knew this. Whether the people around him understood it, I don't know. But he knew that he had to get there. The father, on the other hand, had a different, little bit of a different twist to it. Before he got there, he wanted to make sure that he could do something so that the world could see the honor placed on him. Like, almost like this. Before you kill my son, I want the world to know how much I love him. Before you crucify my son, I want to give him some kind of honor so that maybe someone can look and say, hey, I should consider this. Maybe they can't consider a man that gets beaten up, but maybe a man with some honor coming into Jerusalem, if you want to call it honor or fame of some kind. Because this is actually quite unusual for Jesus, what he's about to do. It's actually quite uncharacteristic for Jesus. Because Jesus, if you read his life, you would realize that he did the best he could not to draw attention to himself. Do you understand? He would tell people things like, don't tell anyone. Just go show yourself to the priest. And he would do things not to draw attention to himself. So now, just before they are going to kill him, God the Father allows some kind, if you like, of fame, just for a moment, that perhaps, perhaps, someone can look and say, I should consider this. I say if you want to call it fame, because it was pretty humble on a donkey. I mean, he wasn't some majestic white horse galloping into Jerusalem as if he was going to conquer Jerusalem, as they wanted him to do. On a donkey. And not only that, a young donkey that nobody's ever sat. So he set his heart and he had to go to Jerusalem. Verse 29, the Bible says, And when it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and then you'll enter and you'll find a colt tied, and which no one has ever sat, loose it and bring it here. Loose it and bring it here. You know, the Bible tells us that his creation teaches us much about God. His creation, we actually learn from the creation of God. We actually learn when we look at things, we, it teaches us something about God. Something as very simple as the Bible says, go and look at the ants. Do you know we're instructed to study the ants? It's pretty amazing because the ant's not lazy. The ant has to do what it has to do. 
If it doesn't store up its food in, in summer, it's gone in winter. It actually teaches us things about God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. It actually tells us something about the Lord. It teaches us something about God. Now we have in this story a little donkey that was born in this world to do one thing and that is to carry Jesus to Jerusalem. And the Bible says this, it's tied up. It's tied up. And it can't do the work that it has to do until it's loosed, until it's untied, until it's set free. And it can't do this. And I think, oh, Lord, you're so good. Why do you have this story in the Bible? Why do you have the story of a young donkey that's born into this world, that does nothing else, and it's the first time that's ever been written on, it's by the Savior himself. Why do you have this in the Word? Because you tell us something so beautiful about how you come and you also call us and you say, loose them, loose them, that they can serve you. Untie them, that they can serve you. Free them, they can serve you. Do what has to be done. Break the bondage in their lives that they may carry the glory of God in their lives, like the donkey did. It's pretty amazing. You remember when Lazarus was dead for four days? And the Bible says that he, they said, oh, Jesus basically says, you know, move the stone and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And after four days of being bound in the grave, being bound Behind the rock, he's loose. The Bible says he's free. He walks out. And Jesus says something remarkable. He says, now loose him and let him go. In other words, untie him and let him go. A beautiful picture of what the Lord does. He says he comes into our lives and the first thing that he wants to do in our lives is to loose us, to free us. Because he knows and he sees in us many things that tie us and bind us. And you know them. I don't have to tell you them. You know the anxieties that bind you. You know the fears that bind you. You know the jealousies that bind you, the greed that binds you, the bitterness that binds you, the unforgiveness that binds you, the lust that binds you. You know them. And Jesus steps into this world and says, loose them. I want to I loose them. I want to set them free. I want to set them free so that they may serve me. Who do we learn from this story? Do we learn mostly from the donkey? Perhaps we could. Perhaps we could. This is a, you know, we say things, we say, we use animals, we say, oh, a lucky duck. This is a lucky donkey. This is a lucky donkey, or a blessed donkey, if you like. This is a blessed donkey because it was born into this world to carry the Savior. And you know what? If someone came up to me and said, you know, you're a blessed donkey, I reckon I could handle that. I reckon I could handle that. I don't mind. Call me that if you want to call me that. Because this donkey came into this world and it was loosed. And Jesus says, firstly, to loose him. Then he says in verse 31, And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. God doesn't bring us into light so that we all of a sudden can find ourselves still walking in darkness. God doesn't bring us into victory so that we can all of a sudden continue to walk in defeat. God doesn't bring us out of a life of no purpose so that we can continue with a life without purpose. God has brought us from where we were into where we are today so that he can loose us and bring us on a path where he now becomes the one we glorify with great purpose. And so we carry now, if you like, we carry now the glory of God. 
something remarkable about that. Something remarkable about what, what the Lord is actually doing with this story as he comes in. He says, I need this. I need this cult. I need this young foal. I need this young donkey. Bring it. So verse 32, so those who were sent their way found it just as he said it would be. Can you imagine those two disciples going? Imagine going into the village opposite them, and whether it was Bethpage or Bethany, we don't know. It could have been a different village as well. But as they were coming down, as they were looking at the Mountain of Olives, and, and they, they, he asked them to go into the villages, can you imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, what are, how are we going to do this? <laughs> how on earth are we going to be able to say to someone, hey, can we have your donkey? And start untying this donkey. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know what, they're going to ask you. When they ask you, say, the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. They went to untie the donkey, and, and the owner said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, the Lord needs it. And all of a sudden, the Bible's silent. As if the owner, somehow, whether the God, was, God was working on the owner's heart, or whether somehow he was amazed by what was going around him, we don't know. But what we do know is God is engineering what he needs to do to get Jesus eventually to the cross, but before that, to give him some kind of fame or some kind of honour as before he gets there. And so the owner lets the donkey go. It's remarkable. They would be permission to do that. I'll tell you why it's remarkable. Because Jesus said it, and it happened. Jesus spoke it, and it came to pass. Yeah. When the Lord speaks his word, we know with full confidence that as he says it, it will happen. And these are the promises of God. And what the enemy will do is he will convince us that as the Lord speaks it and throws some doubt to suggest, is it really going to be as he says? Will it really be like he tells us? Can I really be untied from the things that bind me? And so when we come back and we realize, Lord, if you say it and your promises and you speak those promises, Lord, I know that they are true. And I know those promises will come to pass. For example, Jesus says this, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, we've got two choices to that. The Lord spoke it. So we can say to ourselves, Lord, it sort of sounds good, but I don't know. Is it really the case? That when I know the truth, the truth will make me free. Lord, you're trying to tell me that when I'm bound by something and I'm troubled by something and sin is, is, is holding me, are you trying to say to me that if I know the truth, the truth's going to make me free? Yes. Now, if we believe, if we believe, the Bible says, we shall know this truth. So we shall know the truth and the truth will make us free. We can change it and we can say to ourselves, you know what, maybe it's the case, but we're never going to see the glory of God. We can start having doubts in our hearts, but we're never going to really experience the full glory of God. Remember Jesus went back to his own town around the, around the area of Nazareth. And the Bible tells us that it was very difficult for Jesus to do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Not because Jesus couldn't. He could easily do it. He could have easily performed miracles. He could have easily healed the sick. He could have easily helped the leper. That wasn't the issue for Jesus. But what he saw in their hearts was this. There was a struggle. There was a struggle in their hearts to take hold with full confidence in the words that he spoke to them. They had unbelief. And the Bible tells us that when we don't mix the word with faith, it doesn't profit us much. So our challenge as Christians is this. 
When we see the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we listen to the Word of God, we come with a heart of belief. We come believing that as the Lord says it, it is going to come to pass. That if the Lord speaks it, it will happen. That if the Lord commands it, nothing is going to get in the way. We think, our oh, people nailed Jesus to the cross. No, the Father did. The Father's intention was that he would go to the cross and nothing, not even the owner of a colt or the donkey, was going to get in the way of that. He knew Jesus had to get to the cross. He knew he had to be on it. And so nothing was getting, getting to get in the way. And so when God has to work in your life and in my life and has to bring you to a place of like Christ-likeness, do you think anything is going to get in his way? Do you think anything is going to stop him doing what has to happen to break out of the mold of religiousness so that you can become like the sun? Of course not, unless you allow in your heart seeds of unbelief. And this is where we get stuck. And God is calling us to turn from this unbelief, to turn to him, to have the word of God wash us and cleanse us from these things so our faith may grow and our faith may be strengthened and our belief may be strengthened so that we may walk with confidence knowing that if the Lord speaks it, it's going to happen. So when these disciples, can you imagine after the disciples left there and they brought, imagine them walking back with the donkey. Imagine what they were saying to one another. Did you see that? Not even, didn't even put up an argument with me. They didn't even say anything. Is he expecting us to return it, not return it? But these disciples would have been, their faith would have been strengthened because they stepped out. They stepped out and they took Jesus at his word. Beloved, I encourage you, even dare you, step out. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. Let the word of God speak. Let the word of God speak into your life. Allow yourself to be exposed to the word of God. And when Jesus speaks, it, believe it. Believe in your heart that if he says it, that it's going to come to pass. So they found it just as they said it was to, to them. Verse 33. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners have said to him, why are you loosing the colt? And we've, we've seen that. And they said, the Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the donkey and they set Jesus on him. Wow. I love this. Or maybe you think to yourself, oh, you know, don't make so much a big deal about donkey. But I want to. Like, I really want to. Because this is a remarkable story. Because what the disciples did is they brought him to Jesus, never been ridden on before. That was like his life purpose, if you like. So he could carry the glory of God. He could carry the Savior into Jerusalem. Wonderful thing. What a wonderful privilege to have this. And so all of a sudden, the disciples come and put their clothes on the donkey. So Jesus could sit on the donkey. Remember Simon of Cyrene? What did he carry to the Golgotha? The cross. So he carried the cross of Jesus. We consider consider Simon of Cyrene a blessed man. Because he got to carry the cross of Jesus and help Jesus carry his cross to the place of the skull. This donkey didn't carry the cross of Jesus. He carried Jesus himself. Are you feeling inspired by the donkey? I I am. He carried Jesus himself. He He didn't carry his cross. He carried him. In fact, I reckon if the donkey could speak, he would have turned around and said to the people, get the clothes off me. Let nothing get between me and Jesus. Not even the clothes. Take them off me. I just want to touch him. But he couldn't. So they put the clothes on him. 
And, and he carries him. He carries him down this mountain. And the mountain was an interesting thing because the mountain of olives was, as the name describes, it was in those days full of olive trees. And as they come down, it's about a kilometer's journey down this hill. And as you come down this hill, you enter, you're coming into, into Jeru- you're almost coming into Jerusalem. You, you met by the temple, and then after the temple, there's Jerusalem. And right at the bottom is the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's Jesus coming down this, this mountain on this donkey who's carrying him, having to wear the people's clothes, maybe reluctantly. And he's coming down this, this mountain. And something then remarkable happens. Verse 36 and as they went, many spread their clothes, many spread their clothes on the road. Now, something starts to happen. All of a sudden, people start to get excited. There's a lot of buzz going on in Jerusalem at that time because it's, the, it's about five days before the Passover, and that's a big thing, and there's tons of people getting to Jerusalem. So already there's a place full of people and people migrating to Jerusalem because they're about to celebrate the Passover. So already there's a kind of a reason why there's lots of people there. And their reaction is very simple. Take off my clothes, put it on the floor and let him walk over them. And I love that reaction. It's kind of immediate reaction. It's this idea of, I've got to do something here. The, Jesus is coming. I've got to do something here. And their, their immediate reaction is, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take what I'm wearing and let the donkey walk over them because the Messiah, or Jesus, is on this donkey. And their response is quick. It's almost like, I've got to do something. I've got to make sure that I can be part of what's going on here. <laughs> How different is it today? You talk about Jesus to people today and they want to hold on to everything. They want to keep everything. I don't, I'm not giving that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving that up for Jesus. And these people couldn't even help themselves. When they saw him walking and, and um, coming down, that they wanted to give of themselves for him because of who he was and who he is. So they throw their clothes on the floor. That's the first thing they do. And then they do something even more. The Bible says in verse 37, As I was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he did. And they did a couple of things. Firstly, they knew exactly what was going on here. Okay, the context is, doesn't give us much in this gospel, but in the gospel of Matthew, it tells us more. They knew exactly what was happening here. They knew this was a direct um, uh, fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. They knew that. Something stirred in their hearts that all of a sudden, Jesus is on a donkey coming down on a hill to Jerusalem. This is no coincidence. This is no accident. Okay? I want you to see this with me. Go to Zechariah with me, please, in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 9. I want you to see, and then I want you to turn after this to Psalm 118. But first, let's look at this one. In Zechariah chapter 9. This was written many, many years before Jesus came. And the prophet knew what was going to happen, led by the Spirit of God. He says this in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice. Chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow. You could not have got it more precise. Hundreds of years before Jesus coming to this earth, Zechariah tells his people, rejoice. And these people, when they saw what they saw, I'm sure in their hearts they would have been stirred, and they rejoiced. Your king is coming. Your king is coming, and he's having salvation on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey, the young donkey. They knew something was happening here. They knew something was about to happen. And they began to rejoice. They began to rejoice. And the Bible says that they said something. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they also used another word. They said, Hosanna. They said, Hosanna. And that, again, they did deliberately as a way of quoting what they knew was in the Old Testament, which they quoted regularly as Jewish people, and that was in Psalm 118. Okay, so let me go quickly with you this one, and then we'll go back to the story. Go to Psalm 118 with me. Psalm 118, verse 25. This is what they were quoting. This is what they were saying. This is something that Jewish people would say all the time, and they were used to this. And so they saw Jesus coming on a donkey. Yep, that fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy. Fantastic tick in their hearts. And then verse 25 of Psalm 118, it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is essentially what they're saying because the word save is the word Hosanna. Save now, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. Save, we pray. Save, we beg. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So these people's hearts are being stirred. They see Jesus riding on a donkey. They suspect it's the king that's coming to save them. They say, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! Now, whether or not they understood everything what was going on, whether or not they were saying, save us, or salvation has come. Whether they were just reacting or whether they were being very intentional. God was doing something and his son was being honored. And they were getting out the palm branches and they were waving the palm branches and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were throwing their garments on the floor. And all these things were happening. And I reckon God was, saying, God was looking at them and, and seeing his son being honored and he was pleased. But in all that they did, listen, if all it was was the exterior and if all it was was waving branches and throwing clothes and if all it was was shouting out Hosanna and all those sorts, and that's all it was for them, then it meant nothing for God. It meant nothing to God. His son was still being honored. That's great. And there was some fame before his death and that's great. 
But unless they were prepared to break through all the facade and all the exteriors and not get caught up with all the hype of what it means to do things, maybe to honor God and say all the right things and sing all the right songs, unless they were prepared to break through that and genuinely with all their heart be absolutely devoted to Him and completely in worship of Him, it means nothing to God. In fact, the Bible says these people, if you're not careful, these people come close to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we don't know. Were these people truly, were these people truly in love with Jesus? Or were these people just longing for someone to help them and deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government? We don't know. Maybe some among them thought that what they saw was some political leader that was going to free them from Roman oppression. Maybe some of them saw Jesus for who he really was that was going to save them truly from their own oppression. Maybe some of them thought, this sounds really good. Let's just join in. Let's wave some branches. I don't know. But unless they were prepared to break through that facade and not see Jesus as some warrior coming down on his horse ready to uh, free them, but rather on a donkey ready to be killed so he could truly set them free from their own sinful oppression... They're the ones that God was looking for. They're the ones that would come to know him truly. Those who would come to know Jesus as the one that would set them free, not from some political government, not from some exterior force, not from some external oppression, but from the very oppression in your own life, the oppression of your sin. He was going to come, not to conquer, but to be conquered temporarily so that he would have victory in your life. The victory over sin in your life. So let him come on a donkey. It's all right. Let him come. And let them wave branches. It's all right. Because just maybe, just maybe, someone would make someone stop and say, is he? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that was to come? Because that's, who he, that's what he does. The Son of God came, the Bible says, to seek and save that which was lost. And that's what he was doing. That's why he came. And then they say, Peace, sorry, going back to the story, just to finish it off. And then they say, peace. Blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know wherever Jesus is, there's peace, yeah? You know that. Yes. You know that. You know wherever Jesus is, is peace. So I'm amazed why people reject him. Aren't you, doesn't it baffle you that people would say no to Jesus when they're saying no to the Prince of Peace? There's nothing much on an earthly perspective that people might say looks appealing in this story. On a donkey, coming down the Mount of Olives, some people, some crowds waving branches. But here we have the Prince of Peace. <laughs> when he was born... When he was born, he was put in a manger, a place where animals drink water from. And before his death, he's put on a donkey before he gets to the cross. But remember when he was born, the angel said what? Because Jesus was coming to this earth, the angel said, and peace on where? Earth. Peace on earth. And now that Jesus is about to go into heaven again after his crucifixion, 
What do they say here? Peace in, in heaven. heaven. <laughs> Wherever he is, he, there's peace. Wherever the Son of God is, there is peace. Don't reject him. Don't hold back. Don't say no. Don't say only a little bit. Don't say, I'll have give you 50%. Don't say, I'll give you 99%. Give everything to him because where the Prince of Peace is in entirety, when he's Lord of everything, he's Lord of your life, there is peace. And so he comes and they can't help but say, peace in heaven. Wherever he is, the Prince of Peace is going to make sure there's peace. When we reject him, we reject this peace. And then finally, verse 39. And some, of the Paris, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What does Jesus do now? He's got a situation where he's coming on a donkey, he's walking through, people are really excited, they're saying things like, Hosanna, blessed is he, he comes in the name of the Lord, they're waving branches. And, he's, and the Pharisees are getting very jealous. They're getting very jealous and they just want the noise to stop. And they ask him, they say, Get, make your disciples stop. Enough. Enough of this fuss. Enough of this thing. Enough of this glamour. Enough of this, enough of this fame. It's, it's enough. Enough of this Jesus. It's enough. And how many times have you tried to communicate the word of peace. How many times have you tried to communicate the word of truth? How many times have you tried to communicate the promises of God? How many times have you tried to tell people that all that Jesus wants to give them is good things, salvation, freedom from their own sin? And they say, enough. It's enough. This Jesus, enough. It's going on for too long. You're going on about it for too long. It's enough. It is enough, if that's where the heart is at. And one day, it will be enough, and I'll be lost forever. But for now, until that time comes, it's never enough. The Son of God comes, riding down, ready for his crucifixion, so that you could know him that you could have a relationship with him, that you could break through the facade of religion and once and for all understand what it means to be truly devoted to him and in genuine worship of him. So much so that Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you something. If they stop, <laughs> the stones are going to cry out. Because you can't stop the creation from worshipping its creator. You can't stop that. You can't stop. And all the times that people try and zip the mouths of Christians, it doesn't matter. Because you cannot stop the creation worshipping the Creator. And one day, perhaps God will put the stones on Judgment Day. And, and, and this is just an example. I'm not saying he's going to do this. Perhaps one day he'll put the stones and say, look, even they worshipped me. Even they praised me. Even they honoured me. Even they understood who I was. And you remember when the people of God were so, um, uh, the Jewish people were so, um, with, with all respect, kind of arrogant. And they were saying things like, um, we've got Abraham as our father. And Jesus' response to them was, 
Don't say, don't somehow align yourself in this religious way of your history and who you are. He goes, because even God can raise from these stones sons of Abraham. Even the stones themselves. And so God takes his creation to a place where it needs to be and it worships him. It worships him. Now we can be embarrassed by the stones because they worship and we don't. Or we can be in genuine uh, we can be, if you like, um, with the stones in his creation, worshipping our God, our creator. So Jesus wasn't going to stop anything. This had to happen. This had to happen as he was making his way down, ready to be crucified. So who do you learn from? Do you learn from the crowds who, for a season, were able to express their their, their adoration for Jesus, but there's no guarantee that that's all it was, coming close, and maybe their hearts were still far. Maybe for some they were, maybe for some they weren't. Do you learn from the, the donkey himself, who had one purpose, and that is to be loosed, that he can serve and carry the glory of God? Fantastic. You learn from Jesus himself who didn't come galloping with pride but came humbly so he could restore and heal those who were broken. And even the Son of God didn't think himself to be so proud that he, he would have to come in any other way but humbly down to Jerusalem. Do we learn from him or do we learn from the Pharisees who thought it's enough? You always talk about the same things. Enough. And find ourselves embarrassed by the stones that still will worship God. It's our choice. But I pray as we get closer and closer to understanding the very death of Jesus over the next few days and then the glorious resurrection that you and I will make the right choice, that we don't be people who are living outwardly and with some exterior, in some exterior way just to be seen of men, but rather in genuine worship and complete devotion to him. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for wonderful, wonderful gift of your son that came into this world to set us free. Lord, we never want to fall into the trap of just doing things outwardly to be seen of people. But we want to come truly in genuine fellowship with you, in genuine relationship with you. And we are glad, Lord, to be people who carry your glory. We are glad to be people who genuinely worship you. And we are glad, Lord God, to be people who want to be there ready for your service to do your will. So, Father, may you continue to work in our lives. May you continue to work what has to be done. As we think on your very truth that you've come to set us free. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into this world. And in his name we pray. Amen.